But probably the rest of the, the book of Ephesians, I'm still going to be a little preachy on Wednesday nights, but I think we'll be okay and get through that just fine. Ephesians chapter number 4, and we'll dive in here, and once we get going tonight, I'll review a little bit as we get in tonight. But Ephesians 4, one verse tonight, the very first verse, we'll be going verse by verse through chapter 1, 2, and 3. Start in August, finished up chapter number 3 a week ago Sunday, then with our theme for the year of one another, change sermon series on Sunday morning and move this one to Wednesday night to finish out the last three um, chapters of Ephesians. We see chapter number 4, verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes tonight as we gather here and as we spend time in your word. We need you and we need your help. And I pray that as we look at the passage of Scripture here, there's a lot here. And all that we've studied so far in chapter 3 culminate and lead to this point of where the book goes in a completely different direction. pray that you'd help us tonight get what you have for us. I pray that you'd work and help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The fourth chapter of Ephesians starts out different than any of the other three chapters. We see right away it says, I beseech you, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The word therefore in verse number one, it signals a change. And what Paul is saying here is because of what I've said in chapters one through three, this is what I want you to do. That's the gist of the therefore as we dive into chapter number four. So we've gone through 66 verses so far in the book of Ephesians. And it's taken us five months to do that. And when you look at the 66 verses that we've gone through in the past, they're some of the most thrilling, most profound verses in all the Bible. And over that, Paul lays out a wonderful, he lays out the doctrine for us of so many things, and he does it so that we could look at it and study it. And Paul's focus in the first three chapters has been all about doctrine. And there's so much doctrine that we learn in these first three chapters. And he's been telling us about doctrinal truths that we believe. He's also been teaching us about our position or our standing in Jesus Christ. And let me just review with you for a minute, and some of you that haven't been here as much and different things, review some of the things that we've learned over the past five months. But you go back chapter number one, and God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what it says in chapter 1, verse number 4. Verse number 3 tells us that God has given to us all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ in verse number 3. Verse number 5 and verse number 12, verse 11 and 12 of chapter number 1, the Bible tells us that God's determined that we'll be like Jesus and with Jesus one day. And what a day that's going to be to be with Jesus. Verse number 6 of chapter number 1, God has made us ex accepted in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, God proved the blood of Christ and washed us from our sins. His blood paid the price for us. We have redemption through it. Chapter number 2, we see how God reached out to us when we were dead in our trespasses and head, headed to hell. But in spite of that, He loved us in verse number 4. Verse number 5, He gave us a new life. Verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2, he secured our future. Verse 8 and 9, he secured our salvation. Verse number 10, he's given us a new life in Jesus. And in verse 11 through 18 of number 2, God's brought both Jews and Gentiles together in Jesus Christ. 
And in verse 19 through 22 of chapter number 2, God's made a new thing, the body of Christ. And that, what a blessing and how all that that is. And, cha- and chapter number 3, we see how God desires to use the church and to bless it and to teach about the divine mystery of his everlasting grace and his love, and everything that I mentioned, there's so much more that we could go into. But everything tonight, Christian, that you have has nothing to do with anything you did to earn anything. It all has to do with what Jesus Christ did for you. If there's nothing that you've gotten so far in the first three chapters, Jesus Christ did it all. He paid it all. We have everything we have today because of him. It has nothing to do with you. And let me just make sure, we as Baptists, that we understand something as well. You cannot earn any of these things by doing extra things or being really good or being extra separated or any of those things. And I'm all for being a separated Christian. I'm all for doctrine, for all those things. But none of those things changes God's view. It does not. But what I want you to understand tonight as we get ready to go into this tonight, as we look and see, all these great truths show us what we have and what we are in Jesus and what God's given to us. When Paul says the word therefore, he's reminding us about everything he's already written. And he's telling us that all that he's written for us should have a certain response to the Lord. Paul really shifts from doctrine to duty. He shifts from positional truth to practical truth. He shifts from what we believe to how a Christian should behave because of what they believe. Paul moves, and as we see this, from principle to practical. And this is a pattern that Paul does over and over again in his epistles. If you were to look at the book of Romans, for example, the first 11 chapters of Romans, chapter 12 starts out, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans are doctrinal, and then Paul says, because of all this, I I beseech you, I implore you, that you do this. We can see it in the book of Galatians. First four chapters, chapter five, verse number one, we see Paul lay out this same thing. Colossians chapter number three, we see it. First Thessalonians chapter number four, we see it. And what we got to understand something tonight, Paul knows what many people have forgotten. Duty arises out of doctrine. So what do you mean? How we behave in life will always be determined by what we believe to be true. Our practice will always be dictated by the precepts we hold to. In other words, if you're going to behave right, you better believe right. And that's a scriptural pattern that we see. Right doctrine is essential for proper living. I'll say that again. Right doctrine is essential for proper living. Until we come to a place in our lives as Christians where we understand, correctly understand the doctrines that are found in the Bible, we will not live a life that's pleasing to God until we figure that out. And church, as long as there's holes in our doctrine, 
we will never be able to do what we could for the Lord. You see, Paul turns from teaching us here in in this passage in chapter number 4, from teaching us about doctrine, about our duty as believers. He wants us to know that we, are, that we should have an impact. Let's see how I want to word this. He's letting us know that who we are should have an impact on what we are. Because you see, he explains the who before the what. If you could get a proper view of what God has done for you and who you are in Christ... You're chosen. You're not forsaken. You're loved. And the list could go on. You're secure. And because of all that, Paul says here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He wants us to know that what we believe about God should determine how we behave with God. As we begin this and start the second part of our passage here, the second half of the book of Ephesians, I want to draw your attention tonight to Paul's challenge to the church found here in verse number one. And there are a few aspects about this challenge that speak to us tonight. I want to give that to you and that will be the message tonight. The first thing that we see, number one, is we see this challenge is personal. Paul says, I beseech you. That's what it says there. Now, I think you can understand when Paul says the word you, it reminds us that he's speaking to individuals. We've mentioned before, the book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. It also applies to Christians today and applied for Christians for 2,000 years. It's God's words to us. And yes, there are some, and as we look at these things, and as we study them, I want you to understand something. It was written a long time ago, but the things that are here are to challenge us so that we could reach our full potential, what we could be in Christ Jesus. Because he spent three chapters now telling us our position and the doctrinal side of it. He says, this is what Jesus has done for you. Now because of that, I beseech you, hey, live for him. Walk worthy to be called what he's called you. You know, we get it backwards. Sometimes we think, and especially in Christianity and in the Baptist side of things, we get this idea that when God looks at us, the more I do of this or that and the more I do this here or there, that God likes me more than he likes anybody else. That's not true. God loves everyone the same. His love does not, you cannot change God's love for you. He loves you. But because of all that he's done and where he's placed you, and because you're a child of his, Paul says, it's time you live like it. And this happens so much. And one of the things in my life that I'm trying to work on and trying to instill in our church and instill in our young people in our church, for a long time, I would just push rules, 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 rules. And rules are important. Don't get me wrong. Rules are very important. But if you can get someone to understand their value in Christ and say, this is why we do this, it could change someone's life. Because we get so caught up on, no, because of all the Lord's done, because of the Lord's working, and because of where he's placed us and all that he's done, 
there are several things, and as we look at this tonight, we see, first of all, we see it's personal. Paul's writing this, and the word beseeched, it's filled with meaning. Get this, the meaning of the word beseeched here, it means to call to one side, to summon, to exhort, to entreat, to comfort, to encourage, and strengthen by consolation, to instruct, to teach. What Paul is saying here is, I'm coming alongside you to strengthen you through instruction, to encourage you to walk in the right path, to comfort you and to lead you to be your friend. The word beseech here that is used, I therefore the person of the Lord beseech you, that word beseech is from the same word that's translated comforter four times in the book of John. John 14, verse number 16 through 18, the scripture tells us, and I pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And we know the comforter in John is talking about the Holy Spirit, correct? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it says that he won't leave you comfortless. He'll come, and he'll come to you. And think about this. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be our comforter. And that's his job. He comes alongside the saint of God like a trusted friend to help encourage us, to help guide us, to help instruct us and teach us and comfort us amongst all other things. And he performs this ministry to help us to grow in the things of God. But think about this. Not only is it good for the Holy Spirit to do, and he does it in our lives, but I also firmly believe, you've got to understand something. We're not in this world alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us, and when we're saved, and praise God for that. And he's with us always. But in this verse, it's not the Spirit who's offering comfort, consolation, encouragement, and strength. It's Paul offering it to the other saints. And this highlights an important truth that fits right around our theme for the entire year this year. Well, we have the Spirit of God who fulfills the role of comforter in our lives. We have an obligation to one another to come alongside one another to help one another reach their full potential for Christ. We have that job. That's what we see Paul doing here. And a true friend, how we, and let me just, I know that as we dive through the year and as we talk this next time, we'll be talking about loving one another and we'll dive further into things. But I think it's important to realize that in a church, we need to come alongside and encourage and help one another to do the work of God and to do the things God's called us to do. You think about a true friend. A true friend will encourage you. Acts chapter number 11. Do you have those verses? You don't have any of those verses? I can't remember what I said. But Acts chapter number 11. I want to take your Bibles with me. Go to Acts chapter number 11. And so this gives you some time to flip through the Scriptures. Bible study time. Acts chapter number 11. And look at verse number 22. The Bible says, Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. And we see a true friend, a true believer, that is trying to love one another and do what God's called them to do, is going to encourage one another. Also is going to restore one another. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. 
Galatians 6, look at verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, our relationships with one another, we should be encouraging one another. We should also be helping to restore one another. We should challenge one another. We take our Bibles and we can see several different places and different things, but the Bible talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And there are times in life where we need someone to set us straight, even though it's not something that we like to do or to receive. But the Bible says they're faithful are the wounds of a friend. But someone who's kissing up to you, that doesn't really help you. And to challenge, to instruct, there's so many different things to help one another. First John 3.18, my little children, let not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we see, first of all tonight, that we see this challenge tonight was a personal challenge from Paul. I beseech you. And what Paul was saying, what you've got to understand is this. He basically was letting them know, I want to help you. Do all that you can for the Lord. Every Christian's desire should be to help every other Christian be what they should be in the Lord. My goal as a pastor is to help you become what God wants you to be and to reach your full potential. That's what I pray for. And we see this challenge was personal. Number two, we see this challenge is powerful. Paul says here, and we go back to our text in Ephesians chapter number 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Remember how a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning we talked about chapter 3, verse number 1? For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, of the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. We see once again here, not only is this challenge personal, but it's powerful. What Paul's telling them here is, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I'm and I'm trying to help you, come alongside you. And Paul's reminding them of the fact that he's not a prisoner of Rome. He wants them to know that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Big difference between the two. He wasn't held captive by bars of iron. He was held captive by the bond of love. He was a prisoner of Christ. Paul wants his readers to know that though he might be locked up in a Roman jail, really... He was in the custody of Jesus. And Jesus knew where he needed to be, what situations he needed to be under, all of those things, and he had all those things in place. And God used Paul in a great way while he was in prison. Most of the epistles that he wrote were written while he was in prison. And Paul does not identify himself as a prisoner to get sympathy. What he's trying to say here to us is this. I'm trying to live the life I'm trying to help you do. Paul was not one of those that said one thing and did something completely different. Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And you think about it as we talk about all these things, Paul was simply teaching to us that he's living out the challenge that he's giving out to live. 
Paul is this life, the kind of life he's living in all these different things, a prisoner of Rome, and all, and all these different things happens, but he wants you to understand something, he's not no hypocrite. God is working in his life, and he's following the Lord, and accepting what the Lord has for him. And sometimes it's hard in life to accept what God might have for us. Because we all get this idea that we've got things figured out, and we know what's best for me. I do not think Paul ever thought that day on Damascus Road when the Lord met him that he was going uh, to spend a lot of time in jail. I think he thought he was going to preach big crusades and scores and multitudes of people were going to get saved and it was going to be great and all of that. But that's not how it quite worked out. He sat in a jail cell or under house arrest in Rome. But I will tell you this, scores and multitudes of people have gotten saved because he was in that jail cell or in Rome. That's where the book of Romans, these different books were written during that time for all of us. I want you to understand something. Before you challenge someone to live a certain way, make sure your life matches the exhortation you give to someone else. And we see that in Paul. Holy words carry heavenly weight, but the words of a hypocrite are empty words and mean absolutely nothing. We see this challenge as personal. We see this challenge as powerful. And then number three, and lastly tonight, and don't get like you can put your shoes back on because we're on number three, because there's still, uh, we're only halfway through the sermon. Number three gets the most meat tonight. Number three, this challenge is practical. This challenge is practical. Paul says, We see I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The word walk means to walk around. It refers to a person, how he regulates his or her life. Simply stated, it speaks of our conduct and how we live our day to day. That's what the word walk is talking about. And as we think about this, the Bible says here to walk worthy. So the word worthy means to balance the scales. The literal meaning is to bring up the other arm of the scales. It has the idea of adding something of equal value. The word vocation is a word that means that it's a calling or an invitation. It speaks of the divine invitation to embrace God's free gift of salvation. It's what we've been offered in Christ. It's our salvation. That's our vocation. So what Paul is saying here is that we are to live our lives in such a way that we balance the scales by adding something of equal value with what we've been given in Jesus. That's powerful. Because there is no way, there's no way you can make that scale balanced. No way. And that's where some people say, why try? I've heard people, I can't be perfect. I can't be Jesus, why try? I couldn't balance the scale, why try? Because of what the Lord's done for you. That's why. See, tonight, do you need to be reminded of some things again? I mentioned them a little bit ago, and I mentioned them for five months. But God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose you. He's given you all spiritual blessings through Christ Jesus. 
He's determined that you will be like Jesus someday and you get to live with Jesus forever. He's made you accepted in Jesus. He's given his precious blood so that you could be redeemed. He's reached out to us when we were dead. And a dead man can't do much, can a dead man? How does salvation come? The Spirit of God pricks the heart, right? Conviction? But how can you convict a dead man? Think about that one for a minute. Anybody ever been around a dead body before? You can't make a dead person do anything. So explain to me how a dead man can have conviction. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. God's gift to us is the fact that we can be convicted and be able to get saved. And he does that for everyone. He loved us in spite of who we were. He gave us life. He gave you a secure future. He secured your salvation. He's given you a new life in Jesus. He's brought all things together and broken down that wall of partition, that separation between those who are far off and those who are near. And all of us can come nigh through Jesus Christ. He did all of these things, and all of that is doctrine, and all of that tells us who we are and what we have in Jesus. And when God gave us all that and more, he placed it all on one side of the scale. And since we're saved, and since we've been here and know this doctrine, we now have a duty. It's our duty to balance the scale. How do we balance the scale? We do it by yielding to the Word of God and living lives that reflect the truths of the doctrines we've been taught. The next several weeks, you'll learn a lot more about all of this on Wednesday nights, but I'll just give you one tonight. Philippians 1.27. Do you have that verse? No? I didn't give any verses. So next week I'll have verses. But Philippians chapter 1, turn there. In verse 27. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're called on to live lives that look good on the gospel. We're called to live lives that reflect the changes that God has made on the inside to the outside. We're called to be different. We're called to be holy, separated, set apart. And we're called to be like Jesus. Paul's challenge is pretty, is very practical. If I put into a sentence what he's trying to say, this is what I would say. God has tipped the scales with your blessings. You are in a tremendous debt to him for all that he's done for you. And now that he's called you to Jesus and saved you by his grace, do everything in your power to live in a way that you could balance the scales.
And church, we know we can never balance the scales. We can never praise him enough for all that he's done for us in our lives. And thankfully, guess what? He knows that. All he asks us to do is to live our lives with the constant of this, who he is and what he's done and what he's given to us. And this is one of those verses that really intimidates me in the Bible. There are a lot of verses that intimidate me in the Bible. But this is one of those. When I stop to think about all I have in Christ and all that he's done for me, I'm terribly behind trying to balance those scales. But I have a duty to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith I've been called. I am called. I have a duty to try to balance the scales. I have a duty to live right because of the doctrine that I've been taught. I have a duty to see that my practice matches his principles. I have a duty to ensure that my behavior matches up with what I claim I believe. That's my duty as a believer. That's our duty as a church. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. And we'll be done here in a moment tonight. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're introduced to several heroes of the faith. People like Abel, not the one sitting in the room. We're talking about the one in the Bible. Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab. But if you notice something, look at the end of the chapter and go down with me in verse number 32. And what shall I, say, shall I more say? The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through face subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look at verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. That word worthy is the same word that's used about walking worthy of our vocation. The saints had their eyes on the Lord. Were they perfect? No, do you, mention, do you hear the names I just mentioned a minute ago? I mentioned Samson a minute ago. Talk about, talk about a guy who did, fa fell far short of his potential. Samson would be the guy. I mentioned David. Should we talk about David tonight? Do we have enough time to talk about all his sin? Do we have enough time to go through a lot of these that are listed? But why? I want you to understand something. They didn't walk with their eyes on the world. And just as they did not deserve the things they endured, 
The world didn't deserve to have those saints in their midst. And God's telling us that when our duty lines up with our doctrine, when our practice lines up with our principles, when our walk lines up with his word, the world is not worthy of us. In other words, through holy, godly lives, believers place so much on the arm of the scale in God's favor that the world is forever indebted to them for revealing, for living, and proclaiming the truth of God. And Paul's challenge here, it was personal. It was powerful. It was practical. But his challenge to the church is that we would consider our lives in light of all that God's given to us. And that his challenge is that since the Lord has done so much for us, that we would take what he's done and what we know and do our very best in, to balance the scales. And this challenge is for all of us. As we close tonight, we could put on this side of the pulpit, actually there's not enough room up here to do it. There's not enough room in the whole universe to put everything that the Lord's done for us. But let's go to this side of the scale. Are you walking worthy? Are you living a holy life? Are you doing your best for the Lord? You're going to fail. You will. But are you living for Him? Paul says, after all we know and all that we've learned, here's all the doctrine. Now, this is one of the big problems with people. People know a lot of things. A lot of times, people have a lot of knowledge, but they do nothing with the knowledge that they have. Just what Paul's saying is, you've been told and you know these things. Now put that into your living. Live like you should. I'm going to come alongside you, encourage you, exhort you, and teach you how to live your life to try and balance that scale. And you know what Paul does for the rest of the three chapters? He gives example after example after example after example on how to balance that scale. He talks about unity coming up in a few verses here. He talks about putting off the old man at the end of the chapter here. He talks about um, not giving place to the devil and let, not getting, let, being angry and sinning not talks about putting away all these things um, and he talks about forgiving one another. He talks about chapter 6, the armor of God. So for the next several weeks as we go from this is who we are in Christ and praise God for who we are. And far too many Christians don't understand their value in Christ and who they are. And a lot of young people miss out on that. In this, in this world there are so many young people that are seeking acceptance in this world's eyes. You've been accepted in Christ. You don't need any, this world does not need to accept you. We live our lives and we, oh, if this boy just looked at me, I would feel, the Lord loves you. He died for you. He's given you everything you need. You don't need some stupid boy to give you approval. 
all the approval you need you've been given in Jesus Christ. You have all the approval you need in life. Oh, but I'm just, I'm done. And we have so many people today that are so insecure in their lives. And this is the thing. Quit looking at this world and trying to get your security from the things of this world. Look up to God and get your security from the one who loves you and gave you everything that you are. That's where it comes from. You're a child of God. And because of that, it's time you start living like it. That's the message. So we're going to hear for several more weeks. That'd be a great thing. One of my favorite newer songs that we sing, I love um, Who You Say I Am. And I think, you can, I think we got the words back there. I think you can play it. And Brother Jay can sure lead it. Because my in, in, inner timer still has some work to do on that song. We'll sing that and then Brother Jay close in a word of prayer. We'll be on our way tonight.